the book club where we finally get around to reading the books that have been sitting on our shelves forever. I'm Emily. And I'm Leif. And in this episode, I am going to be talking about the book A Thousand Years of Good Prayers, um, which is actually um, a compilation of short stories by Yoon Lee. I had mixed feelings about this yeah. one. So I guess I'll first talk about how this book came into my possession. I've had it for, oh my gosh, almost two years now. And um, I, my memory is a little fuzzy on this, but I'm pretty sure I won this book. <laughs> <laughs> so my final semester of grad school, I was taking an Asian American literature class and um, my professor was, I think she like went to a lit conference near the end of the semester and brought back like this kit essentially of like, like books and like stickers and stuff from the conference. Um, Con swag. Yeah, exactly. But it was like in this box that the, I don't remember, like I remember like the box itself having art on it or like it was top secret or whatever. Anyway, so I think she used it as incentive when we were studying for our final exam because we did like a Jeopardy style study sesh. And you could win prizes. So I believe I, that's, I think, how I got this book. And I've been fully intending to read it for the last year and a half. Okay. And only got around to it because of this. <laughs> so. The podcast is doing its job then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the whole point. So there are 10 short stories in the book. And they basically all have to do with, like, some some of the stories take place in America and some of them take place in China. And some have, like, sort of a clash between, like, how Chinese Americans of, like, a later generation see the world versus, like, their parents who still live in China. There are also several, I would say almost all of the stories touch on basically like life after Chairman Mao, who is actually never named in the book. Um, when he is referenced, he's only called the dictator. Mm-hmm. But also just like stuff that like everyday people deal with and like relationship troubles and troubles with children, and, but are all sort of colored by this unique experience of this sort of generational gap between like a lot of the parents who grew up during Chairman Mao mm-hmm. and then their children who kind of see the world differently. So I have kind of mixed feelings about it. There were three stories that I particularly liked. And those were Immortality, Love in the Marketplace, and then the titular story, A Thousand Years of Good Prayers. Unfortunately, and I can't tell if this is the book itself or just, like, the situation that I want it in or what, but 
sometimes it felt like reading it was more of an intellectual exercise mm-hmm. than an enjoyable <laughs> experience. Okay. I don't know. And I really don't know how fair that is. Um, it's just what it felt like while reading it. Was it like the style or the content or like, what do you mean? No, the, the content, like nothing about the style really. Like she uses pretty like plain prose, which was actually nice to read. Like I, I enjoyed her writing style, but like, I think I'm just still in like this like trained mode of thinking where if I'm reading something like this, that's specifically talking about like cultural differences and politics and religion and all those that kind of stuff. I'm like working harder than I think I need to be to find connections between the mm. stories or like figure out what she's trying to say. Connections between the different short stories. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um. So I think to be completely honest. Part of this was just, like, poor reading practices on my part because I was, like, trying to read into it more than it really needed. And while, like, all those things are there, like I was saying, the the politics, the religion, these complex familial relationships, they're also just stories. And so I'm kind of needing to relearn how to just (laughs) enjoy a story. But yeah, so I can talk a little bit about um, the stories that I really, really liked. And I didn't even really understand all of them, but I did particularly enjoy these three. So so I think that my favorite was actually probably the very last story, A Thousand Years of Good Prayers, which I found particularly interesting because it's one of the only stories that talks about language. So the basic premise is um, this Chinese father has come to visit his daughter who's now living in the United States. And she has very recently gotten divorced and he is very concerned about her. That's Mm -hmm. not something he ever thought would have happened to his child. He thinks she's probably like in the depths of despair and really needs her dad. So he tries to get her to agree to let him come visit and finally only succeeds when he's like, oh, I want to see, I want a tour of the United States. <laughs> and she says, okay, for your birthday, I'll have you come and I'll, I'll take you around the country a little, which never really ends up happening. Most of it is set in or I say all of it is set in the city that she is living in. And it's told from the dad's perspective. And he's just so confused by his daughter because she's so quiet. She really doesn't seem like she wants to talk through what he assumes is this really, like, this grieving time for her. Um, But then... Sometimes she'll like take a phone call and go into the next room because she'll never take a call in front of him. And she's speaking English on the phone and she seems like so happy Mm. and so talkative and he's just so confused about who she would be talking to like that. And uh, there's like a lot of double standards with her talking and how he views that because when she's so quiet 
he can't, won't stop pointing out how quiet she is. And then as soon as she starts correcting him mm-hmm. and talking back to him and saying, I don't know why you think I'm so upset. I'm not upset. And you were quiet the entire time I grew up. So where do you think I learned this right. from? He's like, that's not a way for you to speak to me. <laughs> so he has some things to work through. But it turns out that the whole reason that she got a divorce was because she was having an affair um, with an American man. And he's, the dad is like horrified by this. And, you know, how could you? You're not a good wife, etc. And she explains to him how like speaking a different language makes her feel like a different person. Mm. And when she's speaking Chinese, like, she feels kind of constrained, I guess, um, and, like, quieter, like, when she is talking with him, um, and just not very expressive. And when she's speaking in English, and particularly with her new lover, whoever this person is, um, she felt, like, a different person and also, like, more herself, um, which is something that he does not understand, which is funny because the other part of this story is that about once a day, he walks into, he walks to, like, a nearby park and sits on this bench with this, I think she's Iranian? I'm gonna double check this. Yeah. Okay, so she's Iranian and speaks Persian and a little English. And he speaks Mandarin and a little English. (laughs) So they sit there together and talk, but they both run out of English really quickly. So then they'll just talk to each other in their native languages. And... He talks about how, like, they have this special connection, even though, like, he has no... They have no idea what the other person is saying, but, like, it's sort of like they get the spirit of whatever Mm. they're talking about or they get the emotion. So it was funny to me that, like, that makes total sense to him and, like, was this a really important connection while he was visiting his daughter, but her using two different languages, he has a hard time mm-hmm. understanding how that can affect your personality and your outlook on life. Um, so, but it's just really good and like, I don't know, I feel like this sounds cheesy, but like, even though they had problems, like, they clearly cared about each other and it was kind of heartwarming. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was really good. I'm assuming we don't get the uh, Iranian woman's, like, we don't know what she's saying. No, not at all. And in fact, we don't even know what her name is. He just calls her uh, Madam. (laughs) It's capitalized. (laughs) So the Madam. (laughs) So yeah, it's just funny. Yeah. Uh, So another one I liked. This one is one that, like, I really did not understand the... um, main character's motivation, personality, her decisions. Um, But 
that's actually part of the reason why I liked it. And I, okay. and I felt like this one was actually the easiest to just read without like trying to figure it out, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So the premise, again, I really like the like parent-child stories. Yeah. Um, so with this one, it's a mother and her daughter, both living in China. And the daughter was engaged many years ago to um, this man who she thought they would get married and he went to america either for school or work and ends up falling in love with someone else and writes her and says i can no longer marry you but because she had promised to marry him and sees that engagement as a promise she refuses to marry anyone else, be with anyone else. He broke his promise, but she's not going to break hers. Exactly. And she sees that promise as, like, sacred mm. and, like, part of her integrity. But the whole conflict in this story is that he has now divorced his wife and is back in China. And so her mom comes around and says, Oh, isn't this great? Like... Your old fiancé is now essentially back on the market, (laughs) and isn't this perfect? And I've already been talking with his parents. How many years has it been? um, At least ten, I want to say. So not a small amount of time. Right. Yeah, ten years later. And her mom just can't understand why, why would you not want to marry him still? And... It's strange because her promise was not like, I'm going, she doesn't want to marry him anymore, but still she views their past engagement as like this, like it was a promise to him. She doesn't want to be with him anymore because he essentially abandoned her, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't want to be with anyone else either. Um, And again, like similar to the thousand years of good prayers, the mom does something similar, but for some reason can't understand her daughter. So she makes these eggs. <laughs> she like makes these special hard boiled eggs um, in the train station nearby and sells them. And she like really goes all out, like puts in all the good spices and like uses the good tea and mm. et cetera, et cetera. Even though like, She doesn't have to. Like, people would buy it whether she did it or not. And she doesn't get really any special recognition for it other than, like, locals know she makes good eggs. And when they're having this argument about why won't she agree to marry this guy if she's not going to be with anybody else, the daughter is like, Mom, why do you insist on making the best eggs? (laughs) And the mom just does not. She, like... She's like, that's not, what are you talking about? Like, why are you talking about something that's not the point? And it ends with, there is this, um, who you think at first is like this beggar who's come to ask for money in the train station. And he takes his shirt off and he writes on his like little cardboard sign that you can. So I'll just read the, what it says here. The cardboard says, 
give me 10 yuan and I will let you slice me wherever once, wherever you like. If you finish my life with one cut, you owe me nothing. And the mom goes over and tries to give him some money, but doesn't want to cut him. Mm. And he refuses to take the money. He's like, I'm not a beggar. I won't, I won't take your money unless you're going to like, like essentially fulfill this cardboard contract mm-hmm. that I have. And the daughter understanding in a way this like need to keep your promises goes over and like it describes it as like she tenderly slices into him in like this like beautiful and loving way which i don't like i don't understand it at all but i liked it because i didn't really get it like i i really to be completely honest don't uh relate (laughs) to this girl at all um but i think her internal motivations are really interesting i think there's something to say about like especially with short stories like this like consistency like being able to get like you said like doing your grad school right interpretation like it seems like it's pretty obvious but being able to grasp that i think does help the enjoyment of something yeah yeah that's true. Like when you read one and you're like, what was that about? I feel like reading something like that where you're like, okay, this is I what I understand why. Yeah. Yeah. It does make it easier to enjoy when I'm not like explicitly relating to yeah. the character. Um, but I also think like relating to things is drastically over overrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually think it's really fun to like read about characters that I don't understand whatsoever because it's it's just more fun to like put yourself in the shoes of somebody completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really cool. And then I guess I'm kind of going backwards through the book, but uh, the other one that I really, really enjoyed, which is probably one of the longer ones, is called Immortality. And it's basically about like, I would say if I was going to give it a a theme, (laughs) the title works really well because it's about people who sort of like take on these larger than life like legacies or characters, but who are still very clearly like not they don't live forever sometimes they die with like the ideology or like the time period that made them so significant so is that like little vignettes around different people or what's going on come no not mm, kind of so there's a few things going on it actually starts off with talking about um so okay first of all one interesting thing about this story and that happens in a couple of others is that the narrator is we so it's like a collective telling so like uh part of this story is talking about this young man who has the same face as the dictator Mm. and when they describe him they say our young man um as and it's sort of like the village that he grew up in it's their story they're the one telling it as a collective 
which is interesting to me because of China having this history as a communist country. So it actually starts off by talking about these young men who were called the Great Papas during pre-communism, during the dynasties, mm-hmm. who at a young age would, I don't really know how you describe this, but like would become eunuchs. Um, and they were sent to the royal palace to work there and they were turned into eunuchs because that way they wouldn't be a threat to the i don't know the line yeah the line yeah exactly but like they were this revered like and once they retired they retired very nobly and were sent back to their village with lots of money and um it was like this almost like legendary Mm -hmm. thing and very, very well respected. But it's very important. So they call the penis the male root. And they have to be buried with it when they die. Otherwise, they won't be able to pass on. So there's this whole like... Wait, so wait. Go ahead. When they're castrated, they also are taking the penis as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is that not... I don't think that's the norm. <laughs> I think you just need to take the testicles. Well, I'm pretty sure they take it all oh, okay. because they talk about like... Well, I don't know. They talk about needing to find the... Keep the male root. They mm-hmm. like keep it in this box and okay. then it's buried with them. To me, that sounds like... Yeah. A dick. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It may be like a root, like where the semen is. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, I can, I can refer to it as the male root. So that's how the story opens. But as I said earlier, the main character of the story is actually this boy who his mother, when she when he when the son was still inside of her she watches the tv and watches it's like she watched the dictator on the tv so much that her son ends up looking like him mm. to the point where once he is grown and probably 18 or so he goes to he, he's actually asked to come in and like try out as a chairman impersonator, <laughs> like an official government sanctioned one. Right. And um, he wins out of all of the people who look kind of like him um, and kind of talk like him. He's the one who gets the job. But then when Chairman Mao passes away, he sort of, it's, it's very strange because there's sort of this legacy around him and he looks like him and a lot of the citizens really miss Chairman Mao or the dictator. And so like he has this complicated position because he's never held any other job. He's Mm -hmm. never been with anyone romantically. So it's like his personality or his, you know, personhood sort of dies off or becomes like 
it's like legendary, but also obsolete. Mm-hmm. And near the middle of, well, for him, near the end, the end of his life, he goes to, he comes back to his hometown village, goes to the nearby graveyard and castrates himself and I believe then kills himself and the villagers hear like his screams Mm. and so they rush to find him but like in all of the confusion they forget to look for his male root right and so it's sort of this sadness of them knowing that he'll never pass on to the other side or whatever but yeah, like it kind of bounces back and forth, but I loved the narration style. <laughs> I thought the collective narrator was really cool. Um, and yeah, like this was one that I found myself like doing a little more, like trying to make those connections, that like intellectual legwork or whatever, <laughs> but was still super enjoyable and just really fascinating. Yeah. So. You yeah. seem to like, I don't know, hesitant at the beginning about like, <laughs> I didn't, I, I'm mixed, but like, I feel like that's sort of the thing with short stories is that. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of them, so you don't have to like, love every one. Right. And I, um, it's sort of like an album, you know, where yeah. like, you don't have to love every mm-hmm. single song. It's not a greatest, greatest hits. Right. Exactly. But it would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm being a little unfair to it, but go ahead. I, just, I don't know. I feel like when I read short stories, it's like, yeah, I, I would like it if I liked all of them, but that's it's not like a novel or uh, even a series to an mm-hmm. extent where if there's like a real stinker, I throw the whole thing right, out. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. And to be completely clear, none of these stories are stinkers. <laughs> Like, I would not say that any of them are outright bad. There were just some that I enjoyed much more than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely don't regret reading it. I think it's a worthwhile read. Just, yeah, like you said, enjoy some more than others. So, All right. Cool. Tell me a little bit about one you didn't like. It doesn't have to be near as lengthy. I just want to know. I feel like the one that I don't like is going to make me unpopular. Or at least just tell me the one, like what the ones that didn't grab you, like what what set them apart from the ones you did like. So I will say there were two that I notably did not enjoy as much. One of them is called The Princess of Nebraska, which I didn't like. To be completely honest, because, like, it felt too familiar to me. Okay. Like, it just, I don't know. And, again, this is this is the one that's, like, kind of touchy. Mm. And it's been a while, actually, since I've read this one specifically. So I'm not going to go through all the plot points. But, essentially, um, it's this young woman now living in America going with kind of a friend, more of an acquaintance of hers, Um, also from China, who's around her age. Um, and she, they are traveling together because she's going to go get an abortion. She became pregnant from this guy who lives back in China and he doesn't know. And 
Long story short, I did not find the story particularly interesting. And then the ending sort of sealed the deal for me because she decides not to get the abortion when she's sitting in the clinic. Um, And it's not really like out of this crisis of morals. It's just like she decides she wants to keep it. Um, And it's sort of this loving moment. But to me, that just felt like so many almost abortion stories were like at the very last minute and they decide not to. So it was a story that just didn't really grab me throughout. And then the ending was just kind of like, okay, (laughs) I guess (laughs) if that's how you wanted to end it, that's fine. And then the other one. So like I said, I really didn't understand the character the main character in Love in the Marketplace who slices the other guy um, out of out of promise. But I still liked it. And there's another story where I didn't understand it and didn't like <laughs> it. And maybe just because I didn't understand it enough. <laughs> but it's called After a Life. And so it's this older couple living in China, and their firstborn child um, was born severely disabled, so does not have a whole lot of, like, doesn't really speak, is pretty reliant on her parents, and has, like, lots of fits and tantrums. And also it sounds, like, kind of sick, like gets lots of, if I'm remembering correctly, she like gets headaches and that will make her scream and cry. Um, And she's probably in like her Mm thirties. And the parents actually keep her a secret from the authorities because they're afraid that if people find out, she'll be taken away. So it's this very secretive thing. And they have a second son who, is kind of estranged. He works and I don't actually think we ever see him. I don't think he comes into the picture. I won't go into the whole plot, but the person I really didn't understand was the mother because it talks about how when they only had their firstborn daughter, even though it was kind of difficult to take care of her and like a very hard transition for them. That's when she was happiest because it was sort of like they were together in this challenging time, in this difficulty, they were in it together. And the husband just, you know, convinces her we should try to have a second child. And when they do, when he's perfectly healthy, But either because of just, like, parent-son relationship, or it sounds like it's also partly because he has a complicated feeling about his older sister. After they had him, and he was so easy, Mm. she becomes very unhappy. Um, The mother, or...? The mother, yeah. Like... She was happy only in this time of difficulty. And when they had a child, then the dad would 
think of as like more normal, Mm -hmm. that's when she became more distant and upset. And there's other stuff going on in this story, but like that's kind of like the central thing that it revolves around. And it's not that I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense, but like, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of, I know earlier I said I don't mind not relating to things, but this in particular, I just like didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really connect with it in any way. So, um, and it was actually pretty early on in the collection. And afterwards I was like, do I want to keep reading <laughs> this? But I'm glad I did because um, all of the ones I really liked were all after it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Any other questions? Nope. Okay. But yeah, definitely would recommend. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. And you know, you might connect to things or like things that I just don't. So it's always worth trying out. All right. So Leaf, what are you going to read next time? I have read The Mirror Empire by Cameron Hurley. And it's a fantasy novel. Pretty interesting. And look forward to reading it. Sounds good. Cool. Thanks for listening. Bye.